Uh, we are in uh, a series uh, called Be Generous, and uh, we have not really taken a, a lot of time over the last five years to talk about money. We've always kind of had the belief of uh, generosity here at Stone Point that uh, if you don't talk about it a lot, uh, then God will just provide. And really, that's kind of been our premise and, and our motto. Over the course of the last five years, we've talked about giving uh, about three or four times. Matter of fact, we're going to spend more time in this series talking about giving and generosity than we have over the last five years. And uh, the reason we're doing that is not because we hit a point in the life of our church where we need additional funds or money or anything like that. Uh, the reason we're doing it is because we want you to understand the unmatched generosity of Jesus Christ. And uh, the picture of what he has done for us and laying his life down is the picture that we should represent as the church in our generosity, not, not just to the local church, but also just around the world and making a radical difference. And I know that many of us, we think of money as ours, and uh, there's many conversations that we could have regarding those things, and we could talk about biblical arguments and text and different things. But the one thing that we made known last week is that the Bible talks so much about giving and generosity that it's mentioned over 1,400 times in our Bible, more than forgiveness, uh, more than belief, more than some of the things that we think are so important, even like prayer. And so we just need to know that it is something that God cares about. And we talked about last week why he cares so much about it. And here's why. One is because he demonstrates to us in generosity who he was. And so generosity just reveals the character of God. And we talked last week that it revealed the character of God in creation as he made us in his image, but also he provided a suitable helper for us. He gave us control and power over the earth until we sinned. But he said, even in your sin, he says, I'm going to still show my extravagant generosity that while you were yet sinners, Romans 5, 8 says that Christ died for us. And so he not only displayed in creation, but also in recreation. And so because of that, we look at the character of God and we're amazed by it. And then as it strikes our lives and, and it, it begins to move into our hearts, then what? Generosity then begins to reflect who we are. It reflects who we are as people. And then the reason that we give is not merely because of it revealing God's character or reflecting our hearts, although Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But it also gives other people the opportunity to be a part of the kingdom of God. It produces life change. And we read last week the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. I cannot help but think that Zacchaeus came to the kingdom because of other believers who were following along with Jesus, giving to his ministry. Because even though he had no place to lay his head, he said, I am provided for through God and through a, what? A rich donation of believers who love the kingdom of God and everything that it provides. And so that's what giving is all about. Now, I'll tell you, there are some of us that we're a little bit reluctant in our giving. Uh, matter of fact, uh, there's a story about Henry Ford. Uh, Henry Ford was a, a billionaire, and there was a local hospital that contacted him and said, hey, Mr. Ford, would you please donate uh, to this new medical facility that's going to be going up? And he begrudgingly said, yes, I'll give $5,000 to it. Well, the next day, it was printed in the, new, the local newspaper that Henry Ford announced that he would write a $50,000 check to the new local facility. 
He picked up the phone and he just started clamoring and clanging. He was upset about it. And he said, I did not ever say that I would give $50,000 to it. And they said, well, it's not a problem at all. We'll have the newspaper reprint that it was 5,000 that you've retracted the 45,000. And he said, forget that. He said, I, I don't care. He said, I'll give you the $50,000, but you better put a big plaque. And it simply should say that I came among you and you what? Took me in. So <laughs> you'll get it here in a little while. And so regardless of your view on giving, maybe you think, oh, giving is, is something that I have to do. Maybe you think it's something God commands me to do. I've got to tithe. And I'll tell you that there's really a giving ladder for most of us in here. And, and this ladder kind of represents where we are on our journey. A uh, pastor uh, of the Journey Church in New York, uh, a church planter, a guy named Nelson Searcy, uh, kind of came up with a generosity ladder. But I wanted to share it with you because I think it's so true of where we are um, in, in just our Christian walks and really where the church in America is. And um, there's a variety of givers, but in this room and, and everywhere in local congregations all across the nation, the, the very first rung of the ladder is really first-time givers. And so there's many of us in here that we indeed are first-time givers, and we, we give for that first time, and, and that very first time you're like, oh, I'm going to give, and whether it's a $25 check or whether it's a $50 check or a $500 check, it's something that you do, and, and, and there may be some reluctance there, but you feel like you're compelled to do it. You feel like you should do it. You feel like it should make a difference, and so you write that check. And then as you, you begin to kind of grow in your, in your walk, uh, you, you should begin to move a little bit further ahead. And there's really um, another, another type of giver, and that's what we would call the occasional giver. Now, the occasional giver, is, is very, it's very spotty. It's very hidden myth. It's not something that you go, man, I, I really make it a point every single week to write my check or I make it every single week to go online, or it's just kind of an occasional thing. It's as you think about it, you see something, and you're like, man, that was compelling, that, that, was, that was a really neat story. I think I want to give to that. And so you, you go, I'm going to do that. And, and it's just an occasional thing. And I would say that that's where most Americans kind of camp. We're kind of in that area right there that's just an occasional thing. I know that one of the questions that we oftentimes ask is, well, Brandon, should we really tithe? If we do tithe, do we tithe on the net or the gross? And I always laugh when people ask that. And I don't laugh at you. I'm not trying to make fun of someone that asks that. But I laugh because right now in America, most Americans give anywhere from 1.8 to 2.5 in their giving in terms of percentage. It's nowhere near what we would think the Old Testament teaches about. It's nothing like a tithe, what many of us have heard. We've never really gotten to that point. Most of us, we kind of camp in that occasional. There's a first time, and then after that, there's an occasional time that we give. Now, there are a handful of us that, that it's a little bit above that, and it's more of an intentional giving. And so you would say, you know what, I give I give once a month and I've got $250 left over at the end of the month that I'm not using for any other expenditures. And I don't think there's any other place that I would rather give it to than God to the local church. And so you, you're very intentional about your giving, 
but you would say that it's not what I want to do. It's not as much as I would like to do. I would like to do more. And then you look at your budget though, and you're just like, I just can't do more. And so it's just, it's very intentional. It's very methodical. It's very thought out. And, uh, but that's, that's where you are. And, and then there's the other ones uh, in here. And uh, you are what you call the tithe giver. Now I'll tell you about the tithe. Something that strikes me about the tithe is simply this. Y'all like me look and like there's another rung on the ladder, right? You're like, okay, well, hold on, what's the other one? Because we look at the tithe in the Christian church as the end goal. Like once we start tithing, then we've arrived. Like, oh, that's our goal is to get to a tithe. And if we haven't hit a tithe, then, then, you know, we've got a little work to do. But once we hit that, then we're good. Like that's what we, we've, we've paid homage to God. We've done all that we're supposed to do and we're good. And we even look at ourselves and, and, and in a secret kind of way, we kind of pat ourselves on the back because we're like, I am, I am living the Christian dream. I'm, I've, I'm blessed by God. I've got nice family, friends, and I'm a tither, Okay. But I'll tell you that I don't think that that's God's goal. I don't think that's God's goal. And I think today I'm going to give you a scripture that kind of shows you. And you're like, wait, wait, wait a second, wait a second. That's not God's goal? You're like, like for some of you, I just wrecked your whole weekend, you know? <laughs> what, what there are a handful of people are, and this is your extravagant givers, extravagant. That instead of looking and saying, I've got 10% and I've done what God wanted me to do and I'm good, you don't ask the question, how much should I give? You begin to ask the question, which I think is the better question than we ended with last week, and that is, how much should I keep? God, you've entrusted me with an abundance of wealth and resources. And as Dick Patterson always says in our starting point class, as he's talking about missions and sharing who he is, as he helps connect people to the world, he always says two things, get a passport. And then he always reassures people that you're the among the richest in the world. And in America, we're so blessed, but we are. And so because God's blessed us so much, maybe we should stop asking the question, hey, God, should I give you 10% back? And maybe we should ask the question, God, because you've blessed me with more than most people in the world, what should I begin to keep? And how do I become a little bit more generous in my giving? And what's the reason that we do that? Do we do it out of guilt or obligation because it's a salvation issue? No, we, we don't got to give. We get to be a part of it. And the reason we get to be a part of it is because it does give a picture of the gospel and of God's character. So if you got your Bibles, I, I wanted to show you kind of the, the big daddy text in the New Testament uh, that was working around in the early churches. Um, and, and it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And <clears throat> Paul is going to be writing to the church in, in Corinth. He's written a first letter to them, and then and he's written a second letter. In the first letter, he gives an idea that they're going to pitch in, and they're going to begin to take what we call a love offering. Now, anybody, okay, y'all grew up in the church. Okay, here we go. Pull the audience, okay? Don't y'all get tired of that? <laughs> Did anybody grow up in a church where you remember a love offering, right? 
okay? And if you didn't grow up in church, it just meant that you loved whoever came in. And you loved them so much that you gave over and beyond to them so that you would support them as they moved down the road. And uh, that was a love offering. It was something that we took for someone and you would go, hey, we want to just help benefit you. And it's a word called ecumenical. And the ecumenical is something that we say, I shouldn't just provide for my own family or for our own church, but there ought to be a spirit of giving that goes beyond our walls. And that's what really Paul is talking about. And the reason why is because that became the norm in the early church. Even in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, you know, they talked about that they met together, uh, that they broke bread together, they prayed together, um, they gave to each other as they had needs. And it was just an ecumenical spirit that you saw that was happening in the church of Jerusalem. But here's what happened. In the church of Jerusalem, as they're giving to each other as they have need, someone begins to come in and begins to oppress them in history. And that's the Romans. Uh, the Romans oppress them, and then other people begin to oppress them, Greeks, um, etc. And here's why. Because they kept talking about this Christ, and they start talking about the way and being uh, loved by God. And, and they begin to talk about having knowledge of what salvation and having the way to God. And, and what happened was is people began to get infurious. And as they got a little bit more frustrated, they began to persecute them, kill them. They, they would lead them to local coliseums and they would literally fill the place up and feed Christians to lions. They, they wanted to stomp out Christianity. The problem is, is they didn't stomp it out at all. What what Peter tells us in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 is that it actually, what? It calls a scattering. And so Christians began to run for their lives. But as Jerusalem Christians who had given to themselves and to the church as they had needs were scattering, they then began to realize they couldn't do life alone. And so Paul, the apostle, after being converted from this idea of Judaism to Christianity, where he was no longer a part of ostracizing and helping the Romans kill Christians, he decided, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to give my life to, to God and to the gospel. And I'm going to make sure that other people have, what, knowledge, but also that behind their knowledge, they begin to have an ecumenical spirit that they would say, let's provide for other churches. Let's provide for other people because God's blessed us richly. And so there was no other group of Christians other than the Jerusalem Christians that were as persecuted as, as the early church was. And as they were scattering, as they were just literally trying to hang on by a thread, Paul approached a handful of churches, some in Galatia, um, some in Macedonia, and he said, what would it look like if we came together for the church, for the gospel, and we began to provide for people who did not have everything that they needed? And so that's what he did. He urged in 1 Corinthians that they would get together and they would essentially begin to take up a love offering. So after all that history, if you're with me, we're going to pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And Paul says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Interesting enough, if you go down a handful of verses in chapter six or verse six, it says, accordingly, we urge Titus uh, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Grace is the theme of this text. 
And the idea here is that we don't simply give out of obligation, but we give because there's an act of grace that's been displayed on our behalf. So for so many of us, we've always thought that I've got to give, that I give to get something back, and that the idea of the text for so many of us is that we were commanded to tithe. And, and while I do believe in a biblical tithe, I want you to understand that the tithe is not something to suppress you, but it's something to remind you of an act of grace. And that for so many of us, we're so bogged down by the idea of tithing that we forget the idea of God's extravagance and what he's done and he's supplied for you so richly through his grace. And that's what Paul says. He says in verse one, we want you to know brothers about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, interesting enough, he's writing to the church of Corinth. He's reminding them about something that they agreed to about a year prior and that was to be a part of an offering. And so they, it was... A, as if the text implies that they're going to take a year and they're going to save up money to go and give that to the Jerusalem church. They're going to send Titus a year later, verse six, to stay firm on the act of grace that they've established. The problem is, is this, here it is a year later and Paul is writing this text. And if you, if you look along the text as we go, what you're going to notice is, is Paul is not writing the text because he's reminding them of how gracious they've been, but that he's pointing out something that's happening in their church, and that is a lack of ecumenicism, that they're not wanting to give graciously, that they're in some ways kind of holding back. And so Paul implores to them this church in Macedonia, this group of churches. And, and there's really three churches. There's Philippi, uh, there's the church in Thessalonica, and there's the church in Berea. And those are the three churches of Macedon. And, and so look what he does. He says in verse four, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in wealth of generosity on their part. Now catch this. He's writing to the Corinth church. He's saying, we agreed to take up an offering. We're going to give it to the church in Jerusalem. I want to remind you of that, but I also want to call you to something. That is to get on board. The news is spreading and it seems like you guys are not on board with this. And I want to remind you of someone who is, and he says, that's the church in Macedon. That's the church that has experienced lots of affliction, extreme poverty, and yet in their affliction and in their poverty, they still give what? what? An exceeding amount overflowed in wealth to generosity on their part. Now catch this. I want you to see this. It's really important. In Macedon, there had been a lot of ravaging. If there was anyone in the New Testament church that could appreciate what was happening among Christians in Jerusalem, it was the area of Macedon. If you remember, do you remember when Paul went and he was going to help establish a church in Philippi? We did a series on, uh, in Philippians about a year and a half ago. But in chapter one, he shows up. And in Philippi, there is not a large Greek presence. I mean, a, a large Jewish presence. There is no synagogue. And the church was actually established down at a river. And there were a handful of ladies gathered there. And so why is that important? Well, here's why it's important. The Philippian church 
the Berean church, the Thessalonica church, did not have the funds, the means, or the money to build a fancy synagogue or a place to meet. And so what they'd established is this, we would rather not focus on buildings and resources, but we would rather be a church that what? Gives our money away, even though we don't have a lot to give. Macedon was, it was literally a land that had been entrenched with hurt and pain. The Romans had, had brought much affliction to the area of Macedon. Why? Because from the days of Alexander the Great, where he was the chief leader and his father, Philip, which we get the city Philippi from, the chief leaders in, in the area of Macedon, they had made Macedon great. They had brought so much hurt and pain to other people that it had come back on them. And so it was a war-ravished country. It was a, an area where the people that were living there lived there, not because there were lots of great uh, jobs. It wasn't because the economy was strong. It wasn't because it was a suburban neighborhood that had grown up and had lots of places for your kids to ride their bikes. It was, in a sense, a small community that was rural, that was war-ravished, and that had extreme poverty. And yet what Paul says is this, they were the lead dogs in giving. Does it remind you of a text? Luke chapter 21, Jesus sees two givers. You've got this group of wealthy people, and then you have this widow. This widow drops in two copper coins and the, these generous people come in and they have full of wealth and they just load up the offering box. And Jesus makes a striking, striking word in Luke chapter 21. I believe it's, it's verse three. And, and he says, the more generous one here was the widow who gave two copper coins. And he says this, because those who were wealthy gave out of their abundance. And yet she gave everything she had. See, for many of us who we happen to be the occasional or somewhat intentional givers, we give out of our abundance. See, we're not asking the question when we budget our money. We're not asking the question anytime, God, what do you want me to keep? What we're doing is, is we're saying, here's all of our expenditures. Here's the thing that I would like to add in my backyard. I would like to get this water fountain. I'd like to add this new pool, whatever it be. And we ask all these questions first, and then we say, and if there's a surplus, then we would love to give it to God. And we seem more like not the church in Macedonia, but we seem more like the church in Corinth who goes, I'm going to hold a handful of things back. But look what happens. Out of their extreme affliction and out of their extreme poverty, they overflowed a wealth of generosity, overflowed a wealth of generosity on their part. And the word part in your scripture might say liberality. It means the word haplotes. Haplotes in the Greek literally means that they have a single focus, that they're singular. It's, it's contrary to a word called diplotes, which means duplicity. There's a lot of people who they give for duplicity, the wrong reasons. They're the ones who write the big checks and go, hey, man, I would love um, to give uh, this. And, and, and I, if you don't mind, we'll, we'll put your, you know, just put my name on the building or something. That's duplicity. Singleness says, I don't care what you do with it. I want you to take this and use it for the kingdom of God because God has been so rich in mercy towards me. And again, the theme of this entire scripture is what? Grace. 
the Macedonians are not giving because they have a lot. They're just giving everything they have because of the grace of God that's bestowed upon their life. And so verse three says, for they gave according to their means as I can testify and beyond their means of their own accord. They were committed to the cause of Christ. There was no pressure. It was no hassle. It wasn't as if Paul went to them and said, hey, man, I'm going to really hold your feet to the fire on this deal. And, and I'm going to make sure that you, 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 you're giving what you said you would give. You ever been a part of a church? And I'm not knocking churches that do this. We just, I don't believe in the same method, but they'll send out an offering at the, or an envelope at the very beginning of the year. They'll ask you to write down what you're going to give throughout the year. And then their goal is to kind of hold your feet to the fire on that deal. And so the reason they do that is so they can kind of plan budget and make sure that they have everything for the year. But what Paul is saying is, is that wasn't the Macedonians. The Macedonians, we didn't have to send them an envelope and ask them to stay committed. They gave beyond their means. They gave according to their means. And then he says, and beyond their means. Here's what Paul is saying. I was stunned. I was stunned when I saw the check that the church in Macedonia wrote. I was floored. Matter of fact, look at verse four, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Do you see what he said there? He goes, they were begging us to take the money. I've never had that opportunity yet. But that's what he's saying. He goes, they gave according to their means and then beyond. They said that they would do this, and yet they did this. They went far bigger than we anticipated. And the reason that verse four is there is because as if Paul saw the check and he goes, no, 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 no. You are not get, you do not have this type of money to give. You are not giving that much. Do you see what he said? Now, that's what he did. He, he goes, no, y'all said this. I think this is a reasonable about, well, according to what you guys have been through and according to what you, all y'all make. I know this church. I, look, guys, y'all don't even have a building. Put some money towards the building or something. And look what their response was. No, we want to give. We want, and they begged earnestly for the favor of giving. They said, no, we know where this money should go. We know why we're giving it. We know who we're giving it to. And because God has extended his grace to us, that is our heart in taking part in relief for the saints. Do you see that? We want to be a part of this. And Paul, if you don't take this check, then I'll deliver it to him myself. That's the mentality. Now, for many of us, I think, at least for me, I look at this and I go, man, that's what I want to be. I, I would love to be able to write checks and then just go, you're going to take this. And they go, no, 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 no. And you're like, no, really, you're taking this. That was this church. And, and then you go, well, wait a second. Because listen, this is the catch. You got it? Why can't I be that now? Because in the question that we ask is, I, I, I hope to one day get there. I mean, isn't that really what's in your mind? I hope to one day get there. I hope one day I can be an extravagant giver. I hope one day I can give way beyond and not simply because I have an abundance or an excess, but because God has reached me blessedly. And then the question is, is what's preventing you from doing it? Because our question then becomes, well, I just don't have an abundance. I don't have an extravagant lifestyle. I mean, I'm already pretty simple. 
But then you compare yourselves to a war-ravaged, impoverished people in Macedon. And you go, well, what do I really have to have? And because as I look around my house, I know how much I'll spend on mulch just this year. I know how much we'll spend on plants. I know how much we'll spend on lawnmower supplies. I mean, honestly, you you have something that you spend lots of money on and you go, well, it's not lots of money. No, I get it. It's a hundred dollars here and a hundred dollars here and it's a hundred dollars here. But for most of us, what we do is we take that hundred dollars and we're not real intentional in giving it to the Lord. We say, hey, I'd rather be intentional about giving it to my hobby. And I think for me as your pastor, I just want to ask you this question. Why? Because I'm not asking you to give out of guilt. Matter of fact, look what, what, look what happens here. Paul says, this is something we had not expected. But he said, we realized they first gave themselves what? To the Lord and then to us. Do You see the order there? If you walk out of this message and you feel guilt, shame, condemnation, or even frustration, it has little to do with the message or even the messenger. It has a lot to do with where your heart is. You need to hear this because I've already made it abundantly clear that at Stone Point, God has richly provided for us. This message is not for us. This is not so that our bank account grows this next month or even this next year. God's richly provided for us. We know exactly what it's like to have very little and to do with what we need to on little. We also understand for the first time in our lives what it looks like to have what we need to do and to operate as if we can do all the ministries and functionings of the church like God established us to do here at Stone Point. So it's not a question of, do we need something? The question is, is this, was God's grace not influential enough in your life to begin to what? Alternate your budget and alternate what you do with your money. And I'm not saying don't go out and buy mulch because I'm going to go buy some mulch. But if mulch prevents me from doing what I should do in the first place, then I shouldn't buy mulch. Do you understand? According, we urge Titus, verse six, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. What he's basically saying is, you don't want me to come. Paul goes, I'm going to send Titus. And here's what Titus is going to say. He's going to rally the troops in Corinth. And he's going to say, look what the Macedonians did. You remember the letter that Paul wrote? The Macedonians had nothing compared to you guys here in Corinth. You guys have everything you need, and yet you give very little. Interesting enough, there was a statistic about a decade ago that looked among churches all across the world. And you would think that the American church would actually give more than the church in Burmese or in China or in Haiti or anything else. But if you take all third world country churches, they actually outgive American churches. American churches give 1.7 on average compared to 1.8 of third world country churches. And they're giving. And so Paul says, you need to what? get back on board. You faded in this. You said you would do something, but you haven't. 
And then in verse seven, he says, but as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Do you see it? This act of grace also. He goes, just as we're commending you to grow in your faith, just as we're encouraging you to grow in speech and knowledge and all these things, he goes, I want you to grow in your prayer life. But the idea here is it's almost this question why are you talking about your prayer life or your knowledge in the word if you won't even stay true to the act of grace that you agreed to a year ago? See, we've lied to ourselves in believing that if we clean ourselves up externally, we read our Bible, we pray, but yet this is an area that we don't necessarily have to deal with, then we're actually pretty decent Christians. And what Paul is saying is, no, you're asking the wrong question. If you think because you read or pray or you're devoted to your church, you serve in your church, you you give occasionally, he goes, you're asking the wrong question. Why? Because we ought to be committed to this act of grace as well. And in a sense, what he's saying is giving to the body, the church, is as important as you growing in your prayer life. Giving to the body, the church, is important as much as it is you finding a place to serve or plug in or even your prayer life. And I think for so many of us, we think, at least for me, that if I grow in my prayer life and in my knowledge of the word and I get some other like-minded people along, then one day I'll, I'll finally, I'll hit this end result of tithing. And what Paul's point in this entire text is, is simply this to the church in Corinth. And I believe to the church here at Stone Point and Will's Point and in Edgewood, you do not have to have lots of money to be an extravagant giver, but you got to stop asking the wrong questions. Then he, he, he closes in, in verse 8, 9, and 10, and he goes on, but this is kind of where I'm going to wrap it up. Look at this. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. He goes, I'm not commanding you to do this. Isn't that what we think? Like, oh, I got to give. I, I, I got to do this. And we think that if we don't, then we're actually less of a Christian than other people or something. No, it, it's not a salvation issue. And Paul makes that very clear to, that, to the church. He goes, Corinthian church, I'm not going to command you do this. I, I'm not going to come over there and lord it over your head. I'm not going to say, hey, you're not invited to our volunteer banquet now because you didn't hold up your word of the agreement. But he does say this, it will prove your act of genuineness. It will prove that you are a person that says, let my yes be yes and my no be no. Why? Because you agree to this and this will show that you really understand the act of grace. Not the act of grace just in giving, but the act of grace in which you received through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so I'm going to end with this. As you ask the question, what should I give? Should, should I be a first-time giver, an occasional giver, an intentional giver? Should I be a tither? Should I be an extravagant giver? Will you do me a favor and stop basing it off of what you believe in your mind and maybe use this next scripture as your basis and what you should give. Okay, you ready for it? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his, what, poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also a desire to do it. Paul says, do you know that Jesus left the right hand of the Father? He had everything that he could have ever wanted in eternity, and yet for your sake, he had left his richness, and he became poor. 
He says, for your, for your benefit, he experienced poverty so that you may be bestowed the greatest riches in the kingdom of God. Do you catch this church? Jesus didn't simply die just for your heart and so that you would begin to have a daily devotional that had one scripture every day that came to your email. He died so that he would get every single ounce of you. And contrary to what you think and I think as Americans, when we give our whole lives to Jesus, he gets our money too. I don't say this as a command because I don't, we don't need it. I say this as your pastor in saying that there's only one thing that God has ever allowed us as people in the kingdom of God to test him on. And that's in the area of giving. He's never allowed you to test him in your affliction. Hey, I've got this thing going on in my life and God, I just, I, I can't believe that you're doing that. No, you don't have the right to test him in that. Well, God, I can't believe that I lost my job. I can't believe that you stacked all these odds against me. You don't have the right to ask God about that. Well, God, my friends have told me that it's all because of my sin. And Job approached God in anger. And what did he say? Job, do you know where the snow comes from? Do you even know how that comes about? And can you imagine just Job sinking right there? Because you do not have the right to, to test me in that. Because I am a holy God. I am perfect in all my ways. My, hot, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are more perfect than your ways. But you know what he did give us? In this area of giving, he said, you can test me in this. That if you'll give extravagantly, I will pour out my grace and my richness in more ways than you'll ever imagine. But you know what it comes down to? It comes down to, the, do you understand what God has done for you? And number two, do you believe him enough to take him at his word? That it's far better to store up things in heaven than it is things on earth. And I think for so many of us, including myself, I've stored up really well here. And the question I have to ask myself, and I have been asking myself, is God, how do I become more generous? Because this is where I am. This is me personally. I'm that guy. And I've been that guy from the very beginning of our church. And I give every single week, weekly, every single week. I know exactly what the amount is. Occasionally, I'll give to a mission trip when somebody needs it. Occasionally, I'll give to something that I think is worth giving to. But in my heart, I am not the extravagant giver. And the question I ask myself is, why not? And I think this text clearly opens my eyes to this. It's because I'm not appreciating that Christ became poor for me so that I may benefit greatly in his riches. But as Peter says, that I am a holy people. We're a chosen royal priesthood, holy nation, called out of darkness into his wonderful light. Why? Because Jesus saw fit to become poor for me. And so I pray that that would bless you in some way um, to begin to ask the questions, God, how do I move forward? And, and I think I want to leave you with this challenge because there are, there are many of us today that you go, well, how in the world do I become an extravagant giver unless I start putting it on my Visa card with my Sonic? And, and that's not what we want you to do, okay? What we want you to do is go, how do I move up the ladder a rung? How do I move up the ladder a rung? In obedience to God, knowing that his grace is sufficient in this matter, knowing that 
um, that he wants to move you forward in your faith, all areas, in your knowledge and your prayer, et cetera, but also in the act of grace of giving because of his grace. And so where are you now? And what would it look like if you said, I'm going to move a little bit ahead. I'm going to try to I'm going to try to go a little further in my faith and I'm going to, I'm going to ask God to do something um, more with my money than I can do myself and just ask him to, to literally multiply it. Now, the thing is this, um, you don't multiply it because he's going to bless you more. You, you ask him to multiply it because you want him to take very little of what we're giving to him and go God and use it all across the world. And so it all comes back down to this, the heart, Right. And so ask God to line our hearts with him. And in two weeks, we're going to pick back on the subject of being generous. And we'll look a little bit more about some of the Old Testament tithe and some of those practices as well. Um, But I hope that you'll join us there. And don't forget, next weekend, five-year anniversary, Canton High School, 10 a.m. Please don't miss it. And the old adage, be there or... Let's pray together. God, we love you and we thank you so much for this morning. We pray, God, that you would use it to be a blessing to your church and a blessing to the kingdom of God. May we know um, here at Stone Point that the goal is not simply to hoard it up uh, to eventually build a bigger bank account, but that for every 20 cents that's given here, it's going around the world. It's going to people who um, are on the field and are in church plants and people that are on the ground. And the goal is, is for us to give to others as they have need. And it's making sure that people in our community who are impoverished or they don't have enough, that we're able to give to them, that we truly want to be the church. We want to be um, a, a people that displays the act of grace that's been so displayed to us through Jesus. And so Lord, help us to not only see that in our own lives, but see how we can go beyond that and give to you, um, not in our abundance or in our excess, but like the widow's might, that we would say, here's what I got. And Lord, you can have anything that you want. And so Lord, help us to ask the question, not what should I give, but Lord, what should I keep? Lord, help me as a pastor to determine that in my own life. Lord, what should I keep? What can I do away with so that, that I can bless more people and, and that I can see more uh, of you in our local church and around the world? God, teach me, grow me. Grow us all in Jesus' name, amen.